Well, I invite you to turn tonight to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6, that's found on page 178 in the Bibles that are in front of you. And if you're visiting, we are doing a series on human sexuality uh, through a little catechism that was written that I wrote and some time ago, and we're toward the end. Um, this will be the, well, I think three more sermons, inclu- so this, this sermon and two more. And tonight we're looking at question 38 um, of, it's called the New Reformation Catechism on Human Sexuality. And we've gone through all the subjects today of the sexual revolution And next time, we're looking at the family tonight, next time is the training of children, and then finally, uh, Christian witness in these times, how to witness to others and talk to others about these things. That's where we'll end. But tonight is question 38, um, and I'll just read this. How should the family be maintained to the glory of God? And the answer is by making Christ the center of our homes through love, humility, and patience toward one another, godly discipline, the regular reading of the Scriptures, heartfelt prayer, removing all things spiritually harmful from our homes, and making Lord's Day worship a priority together. And Deuteronomy 6 is our text tonight. We'll read the first 12 verses. This is the word of the Lord. Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear, therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. When the Lord and when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob to give you with great and good cities that you did not build and houses full of all good things that you did not fill and cisterns that you did not dig and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and are full, then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And there we'll end the reading of God's Word. Well, tonight we um, begin and, and begin, we continue this series in human sexuality, and it would be absolutely incomplete if we did not address the family as God ordained it and God put it in place to be a blessing to us and how wonderful the family design of the family is. One of the greatest blessings that we get to enjoy in life is the institution of the family. On the sixth day of creation, God established this great provision when he blessed male and female, you remember, and said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over all the creatures of the earth. That's the structure of the family that was 
further explained in the context of marriage in Genesis chapter 2. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So tonight we're looking at the institution of the family. Those are the foundational verses that God put in place to help us understand that he instituted the family at the beginning. We looked at singles uh, last time in this series, and at least I, I tried to give a help to the singles. I know that's a difficult sometimes place to be, and may God give you the grace that you need and help in his calling in your life. Tonight, I'm looking tonight at the family. We're looking at the family. Without the structure of the family, society would utterly fall into chaos. I think we can see this already happening. Without the family, society would not be able to function in harmony and peace and in good order. We see then that with the redefinition of marriage and what happened in 2015, that it is a direct assault on God's design of the family, and and it doesn't take much. We've gone through this whole series, the consequences of this and what's happening in society, how it's unraveling at the seams because you cannot normalize something that God put in place and blessed from the beginning that makes society possible to function well. But even more importantly, without the institution of the family, how would how would we have a healthy church? You know, you see what Satan's doing. He destroys the family. He attacks the church. He empties out the church. Is there a correlation today to the church emptying and the state of the family? It's a completely fair question. Um, There is no doubt that one of Satan's great assaults from the beginning when he slithered on into the garden was to break up marriage, was to bring divorce, was to divide and conquer Adam and Eve, and to separate the good thing that God had put in place. And that's now we're seeing the the things play out with regard to the family, at least as they say, that 35% of American adolescents live without one of their parents, and around 40 of Amer- 40% of American children are born outside of marriage. Now, again, there are situations where some of these things have, to ha- have happened. God gives much grace, and God gives much help to those in these situations. But we're not really talking about that so much as we are talking about the deliberate breakdown of the family and the consequences that we have seen in society for it. Although these kids' parents are usually in a relationship or even cohabiting at birth, as one statistic says, mom and dad often break up while the child's still young. So this is, this is what's normalized in society now. Really from the garden, from the beginning, Satan was attempting to dissolve the institution by separating Adam and Eve, and the family problems began in the very first family. Um, The very first family had a murder in the family. Think about that. You know, a brother kills another brother. The very first family. This is how, how broken everything became. Well, When Christ came, obviously, he taught us things about love and about sacrifice and about laying down our lives. One of the things that we have to earnestly pray for in our day is the maintenance of the family. We we, we have to give our attention to this, the importance of the family, of the, the continued rebuilding of the family. 
not only is that going to be a huge benefit to society, and I've talked about not quick fixes in this arena of human sexuality, but to begin with the basics, build strong our families, make sure our family's in order. That's the little thing we personally can do to help society at large. But even more importantly is the connection of the family and the importance of the church. That's what I want to look at tonight and spend a little bit of time with. I want to begin, this is a little uncharacteristic of the way that I typically like to spend expositing a scripture at length. We're going to do that, but I want to spend a little bit of time having us think through at least the modern challenges for the family uh, in our day as Americans. As Americans. We We are products of our time. We are products of our day. And sometimes it's helpful to stand back and see what we have been introduced to and what we are accustomed to and wrestle with. Is that the proper design and the way that things should go? And maybe some of the assumptions that we have about the family should be addressed that are not totally healthy. And then I want to think through briefly how the family should be maintained, as I wrote in the Catechism, and and the witness of the family, why that's so important. The institution of the family has gone through all kinds of shifts throughout history. Um, What's of interest to us tonight are the particular challenges that we have faced in the family in our times, in our particular day. The family structure as we know it, and to think about how that has taken particular shape in American culture. Part of the problem of the American family has to do with the shifts that have taken place culturally. David Brooks, a well-known writer, conservative writer for the New York Times, has written a pretty well-known essay, a long essay, titled, provocative title, The Nuclear Family Was a Mistake. Now, I obviously don't share his conclusions. But I thought it was helpful to use as a backdrop to address a few things, because you can take this tonight in many different directions, when considering what's happened to the family in America in the last 200 years. Brooks makes the case we're likely living through, we are, our generation, the most rapid change in family structure in human history. That's a pretty big claim. The most rapid change in family structure in human history happening at rapid pace, he says. The causes are economic, he says, cultural and institutional all at once. The norm was, years ago, the extended family. 1,800, 90% of American families were corporate families, he says. And some of this has been challenged in terms of ages and, and that, but I think overall he captures an interesting picture. Till 1850, roughly three-quarters of Americans older than 65 lived with their kids and grandkids. Now, there weren't the death rates were a little different back then, but it is an interesting point. In other words, kind of like early church family structures, um, families all lived together. Um, they, they, They lived in large homes. Families weren't divided out the way they are today. Inter-industrialization and development, people moved away from the farm. They moved away from family business. And we saw, especially in America, a particular kind of rise of the nuclear family. So what's the nuclear family? It's mom, it's dad, 
And in America, it's 2.5 kids. 2.5 kids. He says, I think it extended way beyond this, but he says that the height of that nuclear family in America was 1950 to 1965. Probably what we think of the golden years of the family constitutes the good image that we have in this period of American history. Think about it. Leave it to Beaver. There's dad in the business suit. There's mom pushing the vacuum. She seems happy about that. She's got a new washing machine. There's two really good-looking sons. One's a little, you know, squirrely. That's the wholesome model in our eyes, isn't it? When we think of the family, this is our image. Well, I want to say tonight, I, I very much think highly of the nuclear family. I know it's absolutely hated in our times. I'm not sure that's quite the image, though, is it? That it should be? What was the nuclear family designed to be in the Lord's economy? What makes Brooks' article helpful is that in the American nuclear model of the family, it broke because society became, here's his thesis, more individualistic and self-oriented. That's why I found his article most appealing because that's Truman's thesis, Carl Truman's thesis of American culture, of why we are the place where we are. Personal happiness is everything. It's all about my personal happiness. It's all about how I feel. It's all about the decisions that I make. Think about how that's affected marriage and divorce rates and now identity and who you are choosing to be. It's all about you. People put a greater value, he said, on privacy and autonomy. A rising feminist movement helped endow women with greater freedom to live and work as they chose. Marriage became the decentralization of the family. Marriage became about self-discovery and personal fulfillment. It was no longer about childbearing. It was about adult fulfillment, Brooks says. So what happened to the family, he says, it's been unraveling in America for the past hundred years. Brooks says the sexual revolution has come and gone, and now it's left us with this. No governing norms for family life. No guiding values. No articulated ideals. On this most central issue, our shared culture often has nothing relevant to say. And so for decades, things have been falling apart. That's why that other piece could just come out and say, As I mentioned last time, one of the great things that we have all sacrificed in American life is the goodness of the family. What is the family to be? Brooks says the American nuclear model is broken for people. That's why what you've seen happen, Rosaria Butterfield has testified to this, what you've seen happen in these communities now are say the LGBT plus community, is that it's a non-judgment community. This is what they all say. And in hatred of the nuclear family in the way that America had it, where everyone was nicely seated and heading to church, they've said, listen, there's no judgment in this community. 
We have bonded together and formed families of those who support us. So that's the new family model. It's, now listen to this. Listen, this is really interesting. It's communal now. Look around Escondido. Look at the houses. Look at how many cars are parked in the house, in front of the houses. You have several families now living together because of economics. Ranges from babies to 90 years old in these homes. Just like, now listen, earlier generations. Before the American individualist nuclear family came out. There's a communal ethos that people are craving in the individualistic world they're in. Now, you all know this. You know this struggle with your own families. What are you dealing with? You're dealing with everyone separating out, doing their own thing. That's what everyone's doing. And that's carried right into the church today, where it was always thought we would be together. Now, why is this important to understand? Because we don't want to fall in the trap of thinking that the 1960s individualist model is the way. That the family is simply about an image that culturally was created, running around in a fast-paced lifestyle, which is what American life is, faster than any other life, running around all doing our individual things, Sporting events, academic events, children doing our own individual. Everything's about the individual and the family. And we're running ourselves ragged in a fast-paced lifestyle to make every event. Everything's about individualism. Separating it all out. I mean, just think about it for a minute. You had around the table years ago... The infant crying, and you had the parents, and you had the grandparents. What a special thing. As we all sat together, 1960s, there were now four around the table. Until that famous scene in Back to the Future where dad rolls out the TV. Look at this. And we all ate around the TV. And now we have jettisoned the table. We're running to the soccer game. I'll put in basketball. And now we're all sitting in front of our own little screens. Who hasn't seen this? One of our greatest challenges as a church is the family. What it was intended to be. Not individualist little compartments over here, over here, doing our own things. But as comprising, this is why I think Brooks's thesis is so fascinating, that all the culture is recognizing. In prosperous America, we separated out because we had it so good. Individualism. But now as times are changed, communities are forming again. We've got to think about that. <laughs> how we're training our children. Not as individualist little units, but as comprising and making up together the larger community of God, which is the church. 
What I'm making the case for are family units that have a greater goal of serving not just ourselves, but the Lord together as the body of Christ. If we have healthy families, we have a healthy church, a healthy community. And that's a powerful witness today. This is so important for us. A church that offers today a powerful witness to the world, that witness will only be as strong as the families. Your family begins in the family. Yes, the nuclear family as we learn to serve one another. So how can the family be maintained to the glory of God? And that's where I want to think with you about just for a few minutes. That's the question that I'm answering tonight uh, against that backdrop that was very fast and very, very quick, I understand. But at least it gives you some overall picture of the shifts of the family and how people are thinking today different and how we have to think again as in ways we were always taught to think. Now, this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you're going over, to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, that your days may be long. Hear, therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly. He's talking about the family. As the Lord The God of your fathers has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Here was the principle. One of the chief chief purposes of God's word and his commandments, now listen to this, was that your children and your grandchildren would know the Lord. He doesn't think individually. The writer, Moses, Think about in the baptism. Um, Some of our forms will have a question for the congregation. Do you promise to help this child? Do you promise to do that? We all say yes. There's a principle at work there. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and and on your gates. Notice the first thing he said, it shall be in your heart. Has to be real in your homes. What he was saying was that the knowledge of the Lord and who he is and what he has said of himself in his word, that he's one, a knowledge of him, that we are called to love him, to know him, to understand him. The primary means, the primary way that occurs and how it begins is with parents diligently teaching their children these things. I'm all for Christian education. But I am not for thinking that if I write a check, I've done my job. The language of frontlets between your eyes and doorposts, writing on the doorposts of your house and on your gates, what he's saying is that the primary love of our homes, the primary center of our homes, the primary value is not the the family business, it's not money, it's not sports. What is central in the home 
can be asked by answering this question. What is pulling you away from the table? What priorities have gone wrong? The responsibility is train your children to know the Lord, to, to, to understand the Lord, to know the gospel. I think um, that, and I say this uh, realizing my own failures as a parent, but I think sometimes our own negativity in the home to the church and this and the state of things and this has a profound impact, impact on our children that without us knowing it, we have at times driven them out of the church really early. Really early ourselves. By not being parents to them, speaking positively about the, the, the Lord and the gospel. His commandments, his voice, all he said in the scriptures, I, he's saying, I want the word central in your homes. That's what he's saying. And if our children ask us of what is most important in the life of mother and father, I hope it's not the basketball game. I hope it's not baseball. I hope it's not the idol of the culture. I hope it's not knowing all the sports stats. I hope it's what Joshua said. As for me and my household, we are serving the Lord. I hope that's what they're seeing in us. Will we fail? Sure. But that doesn't negate the responsibility. There are consequences. So there are serious, serious efforts by parents to train their children and, and, and to honor the intention of the Lord. For when we do that, th- th- the benefit is it strengthens the whole body, the church. Think of what Brooks says. People are looking for communal happiness. This is really important. If you look at the state of any given church and where it is, it is as strong as its family. And that means it is as strong as parents and fathers who lead in the home and mothers who fulfill the beautiful and good calling that God has given. And what that is doing is training children to not be self-serving as the American nuclear family has become, but to train our children to, to become thankful for the gospel. Members of the community that see that they are a part, an important part of the family, an important part of the church. They're not disconnected over here. So I'm, I'm a firm believer in keeping our children in worship with the family. They're not, they're not second-rate citizens. They're not those who can't understand. Well, this is greatly convicting, but if in our homes, the scriptures are never read if prayer is never made, and all the evidence is that our Christianity is confined to one hour a week on Sunday morning. Well, I think it goes hand in hand. We're not training them to value what's most important in life. And what do you think your children will grow up thinking about the faith and about church and about the kingdom? Joshua said, As for me and my household, we'll serve the Lord. These are byproducts of being committed to his body. And I say again, I understand this is heavy law tonight, and I understand that God saves our children, that you could do, one professor said years ago, we could do everything perfect and our children might go astray. 
We could do everything wrong, and I've seen situations where those children come around. But the standard is this. The general principle is this. Train up a child in the Lord to know the Lord, and when he's old, he's not going to depart. That's the general principle. It's not an automatic. That's the general principle. That's our business as parents. And God gives much grace, doesn't he? Any of our children who respond, it's his grace. The strength of the church is the family, and fathers and mothers we are called to lead. Now, when I wrote the catechism, I didn't want it to be overly burdensome. I know you could go really long on this. And so I gave a few things here that, that looking at the scriptures are rather simple to help build the family strong. What, what are they? I want you to notice here the things that I have uh, mentioned for the glory of God. The first is in the family this. The virtues of love and humility and patience should be shown toward one another. Our homes should not be war zones. Um, they should be places of peace. They should not be places of fighting. They should not be places of separation, discord. When that characterizes the home, that's harmful. Um, one of the best ways for parents to train their children is simply for parents to love one another as Christ does the church. It's that beautiful. It has that, has that much of a training effect on a child just to see normal love today in a relationship. It's beautiful. Let peace fill our homes. The love of parents is one of the greatest witnesses to your children. Love one another. No idea the effect of that upon your children. Second is godly discipline, I said. We live in a day where discipline is characterized as abuse. That's a lie. That's a lie. When it's done in love, it is what God calls you. Discipline restrains behavior. Discipline is what God does for us to keep us on the track. Discipline is God's way of preserving and holding us so that we don't go off. Unruly children who are never disciplined bring great dishonor to the Lord who's committed to discipline and train us and keep us. Parents are not buddies. Parents are parents. Many parents, I think, are just friends to their children, never telling them anything's wrong. There are consequences to that. Corrective discipline done in love glorifies God and restrains a child, and that is something that God wants us to be committed to do. Third and fourth, the regular reading of Scriptures and heartfelt prayer. We saw that this morning. The Lord wants His Word central in our families. I think sometimes we react too much to the evangelicals who've made this a law for entering the kingdom. Unless you do your personal devotions and prayer, you're not entering the kingdom. I mean, that's, that's not what it should be. But sometimes I think we overreact. We downplayed the importance of this. We should be people of the book who read the Scriptures together and pray together more. Deuteronomy 6, to impress the Word of God on the minds of our children and to pray for fruit in their lives. Remember, it was J.A. Alexander years ago said, Imagine a father who prays for his children. I no longer marvel that Christianity becomes a dying, empty thing in the homes, houses of those professors where there's no joint worship of God in the home. Family prayer invited and bespeaks the blessing of God on all concerned, but chiefly on him who leads it. Better a roofless house than a prayerless house. And he goes on to speak about the importance of influence this leaves on children. Imagine the child who contemplates going in the wrong direction and rebelling. 
And before that child is the father who constantly leads the family in prayer and is on his knees for the child. Alexander says the example of family worship imprinted already on his heart and the prayers that have constantly been offered to God on the child's behalf over all those years are like arrows into the heart of the youth. The child, says Alexander, is forced to say, how can I offend against my father? Notice how much the father loves here. How could I offend against my father who daily wrestles with God on my behalf? How could I be careless about the soul for which he is so concerned? That should be the effect. Fifth, removing all things spiritually harmful from our homes. We'll come back to that next time. Finally, I say, making family worship a priority. I don't know why this has been such a battle for ministry in my years. Um, Parents make a lot of mistakes along the way. I have. God is merciful to us. God has corrected a lot of things that I've done wrong. (laughs) Let me say this. When families make the one day a week a priority in their homes to bring their children to sit and hear the Word of God. We call that the means of grace. There may be a lot of mistakes over the years in child rearing. I'm going to tell you this. That alone is going to have huge fruit in their lives. Huge fruit. Make sure we're committed to bring our children to sit under the Word of God every opportunity you can. That builds the family strong. It builds conviction. I come back to Brooks. He said, that's what's working today in what's known as the new model of chosen families. They're serving each other in communal groups. Ding, ding, ding. This is what you've always had. And we're the ones that have fight it, fought in our day to keep it. The ones that have the most important thing. Brooks said, what people want, now listen to this, is love, community, and purpose. Maybe the individualistic pursuits of the privileged, he says, have been detrimental to us. I want you to remember who we are as the body of Christ. Christ loves us. Christ purchased us. And he's given us a place. And I want you also to remember, as much as all of this is very convicting, as all of this brings great conviction in our lives, it's healthy to repent and make changes, to remember the grace of God in your lives. Nobody is strong enough in themselves to do these things. This is the Lord's strength. This is the Lord's help that he gives to us. And these are the means he uses to preserve us. So I want to encourage you in these things tonight that as families around the table calling upon the name of the Lord together is a beautiful thing. The Lord hears you. The Lord preserves you. And if you look at things in your past that you say, I've done this wrong, or I've done that wrong, or I feel really guilty about this, or I could have been this, and I'm dealing with a situation with a child like this. Remember, too, 
The Lord has the power to change that. The Lord is merciful, long-suffering, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness. That's what He's told us. So all the more then, He calls us to turn to Him in prayer. And remember the value of the family, your own families. Pray for your families. Encourage the families in this church. May we be built up together in the Lord And may we have a strong witness. We're going to come back to this in this community of what it is. Think of what Jesus said. How will everyone know us that we belong to Him? By the love that we have for one another. One of the greatest witnesses today is the love that we have for one another in our families as we come together as the body of Christ. That's a beautiful thing and something that showcases His work in our lives. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank You for the family. Thank You for Your encouragements to us. Challenges, of course. We need Your help in our families. That there would be in our homes this Christ would be center in love and humility and kindness and long-suffering behavior to one another. That there would be godly discipline that Your Word would be the center of our homes, that there would be prayer, that we would remove what's harmful in our homes, that priorities would be right, and that we would make worship a priority, O Lord. Help us strengthen the Escondido URC, the families. For those children wandering, recover them, O Lord. Encourage all parents today that we are, as a covenant family, together as a community. May we care for one another the way that we should. May love abound in this place. May there be a strong witness that way. And may the love of Christ and the gospel be shown. Bless us, O Lord, and help us. And thank you again for instituting the family since it's under great assault in our day. May the truth of the gospel set people free to again, O Lord, unite together in the kind of sacrificial love that you ordained that the families again would be built for the glory of God, and to the benefit of society. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.